Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The days are cold, the nights are short, and you'll soon have a home full of family you'd like to avoid. So we have hardback escapism for you. The best books of 2023. We've got two of the best bookish minds, who are also on the Times payroll, to flick through the literary year that was. It's so taboo-breaking and funny. So it's a kind of completely bonkers book. Here is essentially uh, a very sexy scene. That sounds pretentious nonsense, doesn't it? The end of the world, steamy sex scenes, the dominance of Irish authors, and the scandal of royal ones. My mum used that on her lips. You want me to put that on my todger? Whether it's for you or a last-minute gift, our guides are here to help. You're listening to Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today... 2023's best books, Prince Harry, Victorian Sex, and Apocalypse. My name's Johanna Thomas-Core, and I am the Chief Literary Critic of The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Robbie Millen. I'm the Literary Editor of The Times and The Sunday Times, so I guess I'm Johanna's primary carer. <laughs> um, can I start with a sort of classic minor royal royal variety question? Um, what is it you do? Well, essentially, between the two of us, we look after two book sections. So it's a mainly sort of question of trying to find, work out which books we should be reviewing, finding the right person to review it, sending it out, and then hopefully making sparkling copy, putting on, putting on the page, the website, whatever. So that's the main job. So, and you must be both so bored with this question. If you were to put a number on how many books you read in 2023, it would be ballpark what? Right. I, I can give you an exact figure. Oh, well done. Because um, I can't remember anything I've read, so I have to write everything down. It's going to be a short podcast then. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. <laughs> so I, I've, at the moment, this is a bad year for me. I'm on 78 books. Hopefully by Christmas time, mm. I'll have pushed it up a bit. But normally I'd like to read two a week, but this year it's been disastrous. And I look back at some of the stuff I've read, no memory of it. Didn't touch the sides. Yeah. Straight down the memory hole. Joanna? Yeah, actually, it's been a bad year for me too because I probably only read about 70 this year, but I'm about to go into the really intense prize reading phase. So I should imagine by the end of the year, it will have almost doubled. Yeah. Um, so, yes. 
you both have been involved in the best of 2023 oh, yes. list. What's the criteria? It's, it's a difficult one because it is the most sort of epic compilathon of the year. We do summer books as well, but this is this really has to recap the year and give a flavour of the whole year as well. But also we divide it up by our critics. So in some ways, the critics have a responsibility to cover the books that probably did chime the most or slightly changed the game mm. for their areas. But also it is just personal. So, you know, it isn't uh, something we vote on. It isn't scientific. We, we've kind of discussed how many categories we had, and it's a sort of movable feast. Mm. Sometimes we think it's 18 different categories we've had. All those kind of genre books like thrillers, crime, uh, historical, romance, if we kind of count them as mm. separate. So, so, yeah, we cover a huge amount. To help you, we have all of these different prizes that stake a claim yeah. as to what's gonna, what is the best book of the year and the rest. Interestingly, though, the, the book that won the most prestigious prize, arguably, mm. is one you all hated. <laughs> the winner of the Booker Prize 2023 is Prophet Song by Paul Lynch. Yes. There are moments when you think, silly Booker judges. Yeah. Silly, silly people. No, yes. So it was Prophet Song by Paul Lynch. It's a sort of an... An Irish 1984. So it's sort of set in a sort of a near Irish future where Ireland's become a police state. And before long, you've got kind of um, a civil war and then Irish people shivering on the quayside trying to escape mm. abroad like, as if they were Syrian refugees. So I think Paul Lynch says, oh, this was all about radical empathy, trying to make people put themselves in the shoes of refugees and whatnot. Mm. Um, I'm not sure he succeeded in that. I mean, it's an interesting one because you, you can very much see, I see him as a part of that generation of men who read a lot of Cormac McCarthy and yes. were just desperate to write dystopian fiction and that kind of edgy stuff from the road. And th there are a lot of those men out mm. there. And finally, one has succeeded and won the Booker Prize. But, but, but do you not like it because of what it's attempting to do or the execution of that? I think it's the execution always. I mean, you yeah. can do anything brilliantly yeah. if you do it well. There's some passages which are beautifully lyrical and that, and that work, and there are some very tense scenes. Sometimes it works, but a lot of the time it just kind of works on vibes, and some of the lyricism is very hammy. Pop that on the maybe pile. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to take it from your maybe oh. file and chuck it across the room. Okay, quite right. But interestingly, the Prophet Song sort of ticks two of the boxes in terms of trends that we've seen in 2023. Firstly, the fact that it's an Irish author who is being talked about quite a lot. There seems to be quite a lot of Irish fiction around. Yes, absolutely. Irish literature is just having a very good mm. time of it right now. So we had Anne right this year with the Wren, mm. the Wren, which was a kind of great family saga about a kind of the legacy of a famous poet, a kind of Seamus Heaney figure, but actually the fact he wasn't a particularly nice man and then the effect on his daughter and his granddaughter. We had Megan Nolan with another, again, family saga, but seen through the prism of a tabloid scandal about a child who's murdered on a council estate and, and then the newspaper journalist who goes to investigate. That's called Ordinary um, Human Failings. And I think the Irish do that really well because then if you look at like someone like Paul Murray, who should have won the Booker Prize for The Bee Sting, which is this enormous, capacious, symphonic family saga 
it was about climate change, but it was also about marriages going wrong. It was about being stuck in the past. It was about weird online identity theft. It was about so many things. And generally, the feeling was is that Paul Murray was robbed. But what we can see from this, and I think the thread that often runs through Irish fiction is bleak, but funny. I mean, I'd mentioned two more, mm. just to show how big a trend it is. I don't think you mentioned Old God's Time by Sebastian yes, yes. Barry. I mean, Sebastian Barry, I, you know, he's been writing 30 plus years, always a bit lush and lyrical, terrific stories. And this Old God's Time, his latest one, it's just beautifully done. And it's a, a story about child abuse, but he does it with such tenderness and care. It's you know, an extraordinary achievement to be able yeah. to write about a really dark and difficult thing unsparingly, but make it palatable and beautiful. Mm. And then the, the most important one... Oh, the one we really yes, both love exactly. and adore. Is it's, um, Soldier's Sailor by Claire Kilroy. Yes. Yeah, it's a kind of motherhood meltdown book. And, you know, when I first heard about this, actually Robbie's deputy Susie pointed it out to me and another critic, and I just thought, oh, no, please, not a thinly veiled motherhood memoir. I can't take it. Um, but actually, it's so so taboo-breaking and funny. And it's sort of a cross between a love letter from a mother to her child, right the way through from kind of early infanthood to when he becomes a toddler. But it's also a kind of horror story about what happens after you have a baby and you kind of lose your identity. And in the case of this narrator, you lose your mind. And we just were all swept away by yeah. it, weren't we? It's, it's, it's rare that one novel unites us all. And it really did. Uh, another theme which we can draw out of the Prophet song, which you were both oh, right. um, <laughs> shitbagging earlier, is um, this idea of um, these themes of you know, dystopian futures and the apocalypse and the rest. Is that something else that people have dipped increasingly into in 2023? I think maybe it isn't just a 2023 thing, but I've definitely noticed in both fiction and non-fiction this kind of doomy survivalist mm. theme. And you can see it just in sort of things about how many times the idea of a doomstead, like a survivalist bunker, has come up in fiction in the last yeah. year. And we've had it in Naomi Alderman's The Future. We've had it in Eleanor Catton's Burnham Wood. We've had it in Paul Murray's The Beasting. There are these characters who all go and build these apocalypse bunkers because they're terrified about where they're going to hide when the end of the world comes. But then also we are seeing in non-fiction a lot of kind of climate crisis investigations. We saw um, John Valiant's fire weather win the Bailey Gifford. So the Bailey Gifford's like the non-fiction equivalent of the yes. Booker Prize, the big one. Yeah, and then also I guess if we were to sort of look a bit more widely and take that theme, sort of stretch it a bit... Definitely in books about economics and politics, right the way through from kind of Rory Stewart's, I was about to say right the way through from Rory Stewart to Alistair Campbell, but that isn't actually very far. Um, but, but, but there were a lot of these kind of books. You think about Ian Dunt's book on politics as well. There was a lot of politics is broken, capitalism's broken, and uh, we're all building survival uh, yes. bunkers. But I'm also reading here a book called Demon Copperhead, which is not necessarily dystopian, but more just something wallowing in broken communities and broken societies at the moment. Is that fair? Demon Comphead is the most magnificent novel. It's by Barbara Kingsolver. Terrific novel. And in a way, I mean, it's a sort of um, a riff on David Copperfield. Ah. But you don't have to have read David yeah. Copperfield to really enjoy it. And it's, it's set in the Appalachians. It's got the opioid crisis. Uh, but in a way, it's a very optimistic book because all this stuff is being thrown at the characters. Rural poverty. Yet, 
there's a sort of redemption by the end. And I, I had a little optimistic tear at the end. It was so beautiful. <laughs> of your fabulous list of all these different books, being the, the literary hoover that I am, I've read one of them. <laughs> and that was The New Life. Oh, uh, oh, good. Which was a weeper. Explain for people who haven't heard of that what exactly that is well the new life is a really interesting one because it's historical fiction but it's kind of quite kind of lavish historical fiction mm. um it's by a debut author called tom crew who is a young editor at the london review of books and it's um for me when i read it and i read it right at the end of last year because it came out right in the beginning of this year and we in the sunday times we don't often do um, a debut novel as our big lead review mm. but in this case i thought right let's go splashy on this because it's really worth it, and I think he's a real name to look out for. And I think that's why I read it, because I think whoever reviewed it in the Sunday Times said, and it was January when I read it, yeah. I think I've just read the best book of the year, they were yeah, And that, I'm thinking, that, aha. That was me, and I think it's beautifully crafted, <laughs> it's seductive, it's set in Victorian London, and it opens in an underground carriage with a very kind of feverish sexual encounter. And yes. it's quite a risk that Tom Cruise takes, because not only does he in his debut novel, say, here is essentially uh, a very sexy scene. He then, <laughs> not to want to spoil it too much, says, and it was all a dream. Now, those two things are like breaking rules. It's a debut novelist to go, it was all a dream. Yeah. That's quite a risk to take, but it's quite a clever one because essentially putting a wet dream at the beginning of your debut novel is quite a bold move. And then yes. you then have to spend the rest of your novel proving that you're a really great writer. But to just explain what it is, it takes inspiration for real life. It was about John Eddington Simmons and Henry Havelock Ellis, who were Victorian academics, and they wrote a book which is a medical textbook in 1897 that tried to present gay men as sort of healthy, well-adjusted individuals. Both were married men, but both chafed against the sort of restrictions of society and saw in this particular Victorian era a kind of age of new possibilities. And so it's it's very beautiful. It pulls in the kind of Oscar Wilde trial as well. You enjoyed it, didn't you? I did, but I was enjoying Luke's face as you reminded him of the frottage scene on the <laughs> I just didn't want to be the one to say frottage. And I'm never sure whether it's frottage or frottage anyway, yeah. so... <laughs> Let's call the whole thing off. Um, I, I read it in public, by which I mean on holiday in space where there were people around, and I had this constant sense of only opening the book yes. about 45 degrees to make yes. sure no one could see what I was looking at on the page. But you enjoyed it as well. No, you know, it, it, was, it was very impressive, because um, anyone who writes a, a, a sort of a gay novel or a novel with gay characters, they immediately get compared to Alan Hollinghurst, yeah. which is always a dangerous thing, because uh, I think we probably agree Alan Hollinghurst may be the greatest British living yeah. novelist. So Plenty of frotting there. Le, well, yes. he, his early works, more than frottage, I can tell yeah, you. Yeah. Enough to sustain your interest, young Luke. <laughs> um, so it's always very dangerous for a young novelist to sort of have the Alan Hollinghurst label thrust on them because out of that encounter, they're never going to do well. But I think he held his own by doing something a bit different and it was very imaginative. So, yeah, it was a really good debut. Well, in a way, it was kind of brave because he he didn't worry too much about being compared to them. And I do think he's Tom Cruise is easily one of the most exciting new writers we mm. have. Coming up, I'm sorry to say, more filth from Robbie and Johanna. Uh, to think they work for the paper of record. We will delve into celebrity memoirs next, including, of course, The World According to Prince Harry. That's in a moment. 
If you're a Time subscriber and you haven't checked out our new behind-the-scenes series, Inside the Newsroom, What Are You Playing At? is available on Apple Podcasts on the Stories of Our Times feed just for subscribers. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash bonus podcasts to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I was about to suggest we move on from the filth, but actually we're getting into sort of memoir territory and the uh, big one is Spare, which, well, it sort of hit the headlines actually because of, what was it, was that frostbitten penis? My penis was oscillating between extremely sensitive and borderline traumatised. The last place I wanted to be was Frost Nippistan. I'd been trying some home remedies, including one recommended by a friend. She'd urged me to apply Elizabeth Arden cream. My mum used that on her lips. You want me to put that on my todger? It works, Harry. Trust me. I found a tube, and the minute I opened it, the smell transported me through time. I felt as if my mother was right there in the room. Then I took a smidge and applied it down there. Why is that on the list? I thought that was quite a surprise. Because even though it was a big book, you wouldn't think it necessarily of being one of the best. It is very well written. I mean, it was ghost-written. yes. Prince Harry, I'm sure he has many charms, but we don't think literary skill is likely to be one of them. But his ghostwriter was a man called J.R. Moringer, mm. who's got a, a great reputation. He did Andre Agassi's uh, memoirs, which generally sports memoirs are kind of dull as ditch water. But he made this uh, Andre Agassi thing a kind of sort of work of genius, one of the few sporting memoirs that really sing. And it's just one of those books where you could hate read it and get pleasure out of it, or it's just eye-popping. And, of course, one doesn't have to believe all of it. Recollections may vary, as we say. But there's enough in there. And I, it's probably as memoirs go, it, it wasn't a good idea for him to write it, because it made him look small in places. The little grievances about having, my room is too small in my palace, you know. Yeah. It's kind of... <laughs> the Ikea, having to shop in Ikea or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. All kinds of things like that. But how often do royals ever 
let you into their lives. So that's why it got on the list. I mean, a lot of the readers hated it being on there. I mean, he's a divisive figure now. Mm. But memoir, mm. as a genre, this feels like a year where we've seen a lot of it, but I don't know if it was just ever thus. I think it has been a good year for really celebrity one. So obviously Britney Spears, yeah. yes, that was a huge one. Barbara Streisand. Mm. It that was, was a late entry, wasn't late it? With 900 pages. Yeah. Thanks for that, Barbara. Yeah, no, exactly. But I, I do think there was a, almost a slight theme of celebrities or royals held hostage. Do you know what I mean? Mm. People breaking free. We had Brittany with her father. Um, Paris Hilton talked about her own parents, kind of, I think, mm. breaking free of that. So I guess Even some Barbara of... being sort of almost held hostage by her mother. She didn't seem very affectionate to well, you. Well, she didn't believe in it. I said, Mom, how come you don't ever, like, hug me? Uh, or say the words, I love you. And she said, you know, my mother and father, they never hugged me, but I knew they loved me. Now I said, well, I didn't know you loved me. Yeah. This great kind of oppressive shadow over her. Barbara. Barbara yeah. Streisand. Sorry, yes. Miss yeah. <laughs> Streisand. Yeah, yeah. sorry. But, but I, I, Our babs. I think that there was a theme that was either kind of celebrities held hostage and or addiction. So they were either held hostage yeah. by their families or addiction or both. We're sort of celebrities hating celebrity. Yeah, absolutely. And the ambivalence of that. And we all love to read things like that, don't we? Or we love to read the, about the excess and the glamour and the fur and the pearls. I mean, I can, I'm also thinking about the Elizabeth Taylor one, how bonkers the, the Taylor and Burton. Yeah. Explain what that is one. because I've been tempted by that. Oh, well, now you yes. will enjoy this. Yeah. So it's called erotic vagrancy. Everything about <laughs> About Richard Burton. Sensing a theme in this no, podcast. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the filth. Yeah. Everything about Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor by Roger Lewis, who is a very quirky person. In a way, it's like an anti-biography because there's a whole chapter on it where he looks through claims made by other biographers <laughs> and it's all kind of nonsense. No one can agree on anything. So in the end, he sort of concludes that you can't really know anything about these people. Yet nonetheless, he's written this compendious book. <laughs> so there's all sorts of details in it. I liked all the incidental stuff, but there's a Elizabeth Taylor's 40th birthday party in, I think it was in Budapest in some hotel. Frankie Howard, you know, the very camp yeah, yeah. comedian, got stuck in a lift with Raquel Welch, you know, the fur bikini lady from yeah, that, yeah. Sort of that movie. And you think... I'd love to have a stage play about what they've talked yes. about. Yeah. Yes. So it's a kind of completely bonkers book. With no chronological through thread, am I right? It's just sort of all over the place. It, it is a bit all over the place. It starts with, uh, I think it starts with Elizabeth Taylor and then moves on to Richard Burton, back and forth, back and forth. And there's kind of, kind of wild rumours. So, for instance, uh, Roger Lewis sort of suggests that... Um, Richard Burton may have murdered his brother, in effect, because I think there was some kind of kerfuffle at some stage. His brother went into a terrible accident coma and died a few years afterwards. But, mm. You know, there's all sorts of weird Baroque stories There's also in the it. stuff about the guy who ended up kind of becoming a sort of paternal figure to him. Oh, was yes. it a teacher or something? And then perhaps that something was a little bit untoward there, yes. and that may be part of his kind of virility and his masculinity and needing to kind of have this big performative sleeping around and mm. being this big sexual figure was to do with the, the idea that he was proving himself as this huge heterosexual male. Yeah. So that, that had all other revelations in it that were yeah. fascinating. But it's interesting that that is the only one that we've mentioned so far in this sort of biography section, which is... A yeah. biography and not an mm. autobiography. And those big Claire Tomlin-like things seem a bit 
out of vogue and it's autobiographies roll into it. At the yeah, moment. exactly. No, you're very right there. I mean, it's uh, one of the great tragedies, I think. Not tragedy is too strong a word, yeah, isn't I'm it? Say. Yeah, it's uh, I'm sad yeah. that there are not more of those. As you say, Claire Tomlin, where he, she writes brilliant books about Samuel Pepys or Charles Dickens. Mm. I think there's a wariness of writing about other people's lives. You know, you could be cancelled for whatever, the re- you know, getting some detail wrong or whatever. Yeah. whatever. But whereas if you write about yourself, yes. you can't be cancelled for being honest about yourself, right? It's Surely. a lot about my story now yeah, exactly. and my version of events, my narrative, reclaiming the narrative. Um, and we see that more widely in the culture and of kind of celebrities announcing stuff on Instagram now. It's like, I'm going to mm. own my story. But the interesting thing you point out about the kind of biography, and I almost want to kind of relate that to nonfiction in general, that kind of figure, the Peeps figure, or my husband read earlier this year a very old book now by Richard Holmes on Coleridge, and he said how refreshing it was just to read, to immerse yourself in the, the life story of one man and his era, and how now when we're looking at a lot of nonfiction in history, and not all of it, but it's often grand narratives. So you've got a whole sweep of history, mm. but you see it through the prism of weather, it's something like Peter Frankpan's yeah. book, The yeah. Earth Transformed. Or you see it through Germs, a book like Pathogenesis that came out by Jonathan Kennedy this year. And so those grand sweeping narratives are definitely what's been dominating nonfiction for a while. But you really saw it come to the fore this year. And I think it's sort of in some ways a delayed thing from the kind of sapiens, the Yuval Noah Harari You know, that was 12 years ago. But it was when you look through the bestsellers of the last 20 years, Mm. that sold so well. And I think that went on to shape things. But it's also, I think, an Internet age thing where you Google anything and everything and you suddenly say, oh, I've got a theory and explains everything. And so these books appeal to that. And and that's not to say that they're not really, really good. But we did see a lot of them this Mm. year. We saw sort of Kat Bahannon with her book Eve, which was like women's bodies explained from the beginning of time and how actually evolutionary biology and women's bodies explain everything mm. of our history. And so we saw this sort of explosion of the grand narrative in nonfiction, I think. Can we end with a quick fire round? Oh, gosh, OK. Make uh, it easy. 2023, best book. <laughs> I'm going to cheat. OK. I'm going to say Demon Copperhead. Even though even though it came out at the end of last year, it came out in paperback this year, okay. and it won the Woman's Prize earlier this year, by far the best novel okay. of the last, let's say, 13 months. We'll allow that. Joanna? Well, I do have to keep coming back to the new life. I, mean, I championed it at the beginning yeah. of the year, and I stick by that. A classic from the past, which is perfect for 2024. Well, we talked about Alan Hollinghurst, and I do wonder if his picture, The Line of Beauty, of that, that kind of gilded age of Tories and a Thatcher era, which was set in the in the 80s, I sort of think that has resonance now with our politics. Good choice. OK, I'm going to go for Decline and Fall. Okay. Evelyn Wall's <laughs> Decline and Fall. Yeah. One, it's funny, so it's good mm. on its own terms. But he captured the kind of the bleak absurdness of the whole world. And I think... If you know the world is absurd, it does help make sense of it, doesn't it? It explains yeah. everything. Yes. The perfect, I need to buy a gift for someone and I'm going to get them a book and I don't know anything about them gift. Oh, I know. I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. Yeah. What's that? It's a sort of a, a coming-of-age novel, a posh family on their uppers, funny and warm. It's one of those kind of 
when my mother died, someone gave it to me as they thought this this will help help cheer you up, get you yeah. through it. It's a warm gift to give someone. Fabulous. Jana? This year, one of the big paperbacks of this year was Gabriel Zevin's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which really has to be mentioned because it's just sword and sword and sword, this novel. It's about two video game developers, but it's a coming-of-age story. They meet in the 80s and they go on to transform with their creative partnership the video game scene. And it's mm. the kind of book that you would think, I mean, I don't like video games, but it really has pulled in so many people, regardless of, of whether they're gamers or not. And finally, the book we should be most excited about in 2024. Oh, I know. Long Island by Colm Tobin. So it's the sequel to Brooklyn. Mm. So Brooklyn was a big, huge success. This is takes the main character from Brooklyn. I think moves her 20 years on. I love Colm Tobin. So that's going to be my book of the year. Next said, year. <laughs> pre- predicting rashly... <laughs> Hopefully no one will listen and remember. Yes. The big one for next year, I think, will be Salman Rushdie's Knife, which will be Uh. the account of his attack. And I think it will be interesting to read it in his words. And I think a lot of people will be fascinated by that. And we may may well see that get into the bestsellers, I think. Yeah, definitely. Johanna Thomas-Core, Robbie Millen, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, the podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Luke Jones, and my guests, literary editor at The Times and The Sunday Times, Robbie Millen, and chief literary critic at The Times and The Sunday Times, Johanna thomas Core. Their full list is on The Times website now. If you've got a subscription, you can see that. We'll also put a list in the episode notes of the books that they've mentioned here. We'll also put in a link to the Times Bookshop. The producer today was Sam Chantarasak. The executive producer was Kate Ford. And sound design was by Mao Lissetto. If you can, leave us a nice review. It'll help others find us. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.